Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, folks, it is 5.05 a.m. here at Tennis Podcast Towers, Melbourne, and precisely one hour ago, Andy Murray wrapped up a five-set victory, 7-5 in the fifth over Thanasi Kokonakis, the 11th victory of his career from two sets to love down, the longest match of his career at five hours and 45 minutes. You are going to have to bear with us on this podcast because we are still processing. We may still be processing for the rest of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) We're also very aware that lots else besides this match happened of note today at Melbourne Park, and we will try and cover all of it, but we also need to give this match and this story the time that it warrants because I, and and I don't say this lightly, and I'm very conscious I have said this on the podcast before and recency bias and all of it, but having said that, I am going to say it, I have never seen anything like that before. And I'm going to say one more thing yet again. He's got a metal hip. <laughs> Would anybody like to go first with trying to sum up how they're feeling, what they've seen, (laughs) how they ever might recover from tonight, this morning. No no hands up in the room. Who wants to go? The the, the thing is, um, what you've just read out, there are some things there that that hadn't even occurred to me, that it was the 11th time he's come back from two sets to love down. And that is now the outright record the outright all-time record nobody has done that more than him and he, he knew, knew it. it he knew it that was the thing did he mentioned it that. in the encore interview i loved that so much that he knew that that says everything about mm. andy murray doesn't it he's a he's a tennis junkie and so he matters. knows his stats it matters to him and it is the perfect Andy Murray stat, really. I love that he owns that because 
you know, coming back from two sets down is about all of the traits that make Andy Murray Andy Murray and the the big one in particular as he said also in that on court interview was that great big heart of his yeah and that line was followed by a penis gag a <laughs> a quite funny penis gag at about 10 past 4 in the morning I mean, he knows his audience. He knows his audience. He had listened to five (laughs) hours and 45 minutes of drunk Australians shouting variations of cock at him. (laughs) And he made a penis gag in the encore interview. That, ladies and gentlemen, is Andy Murray. (laughs) See, I didn't know any of this was going on because I was busy trying to get down into the dungeons and the corridors to try and interview him afterwards but i didn't hear this these these in, gems in tennis's long tradition of interviews taking place in car parks and i've watched the on-court interview i didn't see it live because i like you david was trying to make my way to the dungeon um but I, i've watched it back i was there for the post-match car park huddle that took place and those two interviews could not have been more different and the the two interviews sum up the two talking points from this the story the comeback the romanticism of it all that's one story and we want to talk about that the other story is why on earth is tennis happening is elite sport happening is anything other than sleeping (laughs) happening at four o'clock in the morning when it's entirely preventable and entirely predictable it happens all the time tennis shrugs it off when it finishes at 2 a.m it's only when it finishes at 4 a.m that people speak out about it and Andy Murray knew that that was the moment that he had people's attention and that he could speak unequivocally about the issue and we're going to talk about it as well tonight for as for as long as we can (laughs) We didn't even get close to the latest ever finish at the Australian Open. That's how insane tennis is. Let's talk about the match first, okay? Let's talk about the match. Um, How on earth did the quality improve as the match went on and the hour got later and... (laughs) and, and, and and the and the physicality d- diminish the, the 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 resources the physical d- resources diminish. How did the tennis get better? <laughs> I I don't know if I have an answer to that very good question. What I do know is that it was Andy Murray really that got better mm. because uh, Kokanakis. I underestimated him to be honest, uh, having watched him. In the Davis Cup last year, I was kind of left a bit cold by his tennis. Like, I didn't, I didn't know he was still so explosive and so capable of just bringing it and rising to an occasion, which are all things we've sort of associated with him in the past, but we just haven't seen that much of in, in his career recently. He obviously came into this tournament in good form, having, having performed really well in Adelaide, and he was on it right from the start of this match striping forehands, hitting his backhand down the line really well. And Murray, in contrast, was nowhere near the player he was against Matteo Berrettini. He looked, Grouchy. He looked, yeah, he was in a bad mood. He looked stiff and, 
like he needed to warm up literally and um there were there same were, andy yeah. same it was <laughs> frigging cold there were there were murmurs of taro daniel going around mm. the press box and of course that refers to murray's performance here last year in the second round where he lost to taro daniel having just played a five setter against nicolas basilashvili it felt sort of eerily familiar we'd had mm. this great high but can he back it up physically tennis wise it looked like no to be honest for a couple of sets there and then gosh the third set I mean I think the whole match will live long in the memory but the way Murray turned it round in the third set was extraordinary there was one rally in particular which was at two love to Kokonakis you know it was two sets and the breakup Kokonakis and Murray retrieved four smashes from Kokonakis, won the point, and then just put his finger to his ear and said to the crowd, come on then, where's your noise now, where's your noise now? And he was back in the match from that moment on. It was incredible to witness him just fight like that from such a such an impossible position you know not only two sets of love down and two love down but off the back of a five-hour match just a couple of days ago with the metal hip as we must always keep stressing <laughs> I just don't understand the reserves that he has to to find that in him but he does and he fought his way back in the third set and then the match just morphed into this sort of supernatural tennis match by the end and i can't believe i'm about to say this in the fifth and sixth hours it was vintage andy murray it really was the way he was retrieving Mm. and defending and hanging in rallies and and turning defense into attack and hitting the beefy forehand that you know lendl despite the fact that he won't outwardly emote one bit i saw him heavily exhale at one point (laughs) and that was a that was a big moment. Blimey. Um, you know, those forehands that you know Lendl is inwardly fist pumping about. It was vintage Angie Murray in mm. the in the fifth and sixth hours. Well, I felt and, and I I don't understand how he was doing that at the end and not at the beginning. I know adrenaline, I know genuinely I think physically warming up when you're old and stiff and arthritic, getting warm is a is a big thing i can i can vouch for that but that's that's what pat cash in the commentary box that who was alongside me was talking about he said when you've played a match like he played against matteo berrettini one of the problems is you do get stiff and for the first set and a half he looked in a terrible mood um and he looked as though he was surprised by what kokonakis was doing to him he was surprised that it wasn't there the, the the level wasn't there and and he did just warm up. He start. He found his way into the match. At the end of the second set, when he when he went two sets to love down, he basically left the court, saying to his team, "I I haven't got this in me." And he actually was saying, "I haven't got this in me." And he went two love down. It looked over. Matt said that ignited him that moment, and he did get better. And I do think you're searching for a reason. The reason is adrenaline. Adrenaline added to a truly great player who has put in the work. He has led this monk life, monk-style lifestyle in the off-season for this moment. 
and it has paid off so handsomely tonight. That's what it was all about. Still processing. <laughs> I still like. There was a there was a plausible scenario where he mounted this incredible comeback, but to quote Mary Carrillo, he didn't come all the way back. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and not only did he have to drag himself back into the match, he then had to finish it off. Mm. And in that fifth set, it was really frustrating for him because he kept getting break points and Kokonakis kept saving them, you know, with big serves and great play of his own. And I think it was eventually his seventh break point in the set that Murray eventually converted. And yeah, he just just completed this story you know like there would have like we would have been totally admiring Andy Murray if he had ended up losing that fifth set 7-5 rather than winning it but the fact he just went on to win it just I don't know oh, I just it just he adds operates something even fantastically more special to it in chaos the mm. more absurd it gets the mm. rowdier the crowd get the later it gets even though we'll come on to talk about how he he, he thinks that's all wrong he just becomes more and more bloody-minded. Mm. He digs his teeth. He says, come on then. Rip it off me if you want, because I am not letting go. And, and, <laughs> and you feel like you're in it with him, don't you? You feel like you're in this ab- absurd situation. You know, we're all in this together. Obviously, we're absolutely not, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not running down for Nasty Koganakis' forehands. Thank goodness. Um, but, you know, we were all under that, huddled under that little bit of roof out there on the second court and huddling for warmth and just looking at one another <laughs> with just wonder and absurdity and sort of, can you pinch me? Because I'm not quite sure if this is real and glancing across the aisle and seeing Simon Briggs realise that his laptop has died because he's been out there so long. <laughs> there, was, <laughs> there, was, <laughs> there was a moment where I realised that we were in a race and that race was Andy Murray's battery versus Simon Briggs's laptop battery <laughs> and Andy Murray won that battle as well because, yeah, literally with two minutes to go, Simon Briggs' uh, laptop died on him and it just... It all added to the absurdity and, and the madness. Just before we talk about the controversy of it all, two things. One, and I'm sorry to do this to you all, but Andy Murray has to come back <laughs> on Saturday and, trauma alert, play Roberto Bautista Ragu. <laughs> of course. I can't believe it. The very man from four years ago. <laughs> um, well, and, look, and, you know, Roberto Bautista Ragu went to five sets today himself. He's he's not a young man, but, It's like the you worst know. opponent in the world to have <laughs> when you're naked. any way Andy Murray can be competitive yes. in that match? Yes. That's not what you said in the car. Well, <laughs> I thought it through. No, but, but the thing is, logically, no, of course not. Logically, he's not coming back from two sets to love and two love down tonight. Mm. And he bloody well did. Mm. And Kokonakis didn't play badly at all from there on. And, and you, 
and, <laughs> and you get the feeling that he, he's not just pissed off in principle about the, the lateness of the finish and, and the balls and all the rest of it. He's pissed off because he feels like it's damaged his chances now of going on to win the Australian Open. Well, I mean, it's an interesting draw now, isn't it? With it all, certainly is. I've got happened. one more question for you before we get on to all of that. Did Kokonakis blow it at all? Can he have any regrets tonight? Will he have any regrets? I would think he would. I would think he would. In his mind, he would. In his mind, he should have won. Should he have won? Um, in, trying to be impartially, uh, impartial and objective about it, I think it's... I think, he, yes, he should have won from two sets and two love up, and when he was serving for the match, he should have won. But... And and there he will have regrets, but he's also you've also got to factor in what he's up against. Mm. He's not Andy Murray. He's not one of the, you know, some people don't like us using the term big four. Well, it used to be a big four, and this was a reminder of why it used to be one. And whatever Andy Murray is, he's a three-time Grand Slam champion, a twice Olympic gold medalist, a former world number one, a Davis Cup champion. He's been out there for eighteen years. Tanasi Kakanakis is not that. And when it comes down to it. Andy Murray wrestled that match from him. And Kokonakis wasn't strong enough in the most important moment to stop him. The, the goat of what the fuckery is how Charlie Eccleshare <laughs> describes <laughs> Andy Murray on Twitter just now. And I love that. And can I just say, nothing winds me up more than people saying Big Four doesn't exist. Mm. I hate it when people <laughs> tell me that. Do you, do you know what I hate? That when you push back on it, they go, well, why isn't it a big five with Stan Varinka then? Yep. Yeah. I uh, hate that too. I mean, look, these days it is a big three. Oh, obviously. Well, sure. Big two. But, it's, but it's, it's a big evolved, two. It's, it's fluxed and yeah. it's evolved. Yeah. There and, has you know, been a big four. Yes, there, there has, there has, has absolutely. absolutely for a long period of that dynasty been a big four. When Andy Murray was world number one in 2016 and several years before and all the rest of it, there was a big four. Mm. Yeah, no more no more there mentions the about ends. the big four, please. Um, we're just about to get on to the controversy of it all, but just, just while I've got your attention and to give David and Matt just an extra moment to do processing, because we literally were in that car park press conference about 20 seconds ago. Um, we are we are really hot off the press with this one, folks. But you, while I've got your attention, you might have heard, you might have noticed, we are brought to you during the Australian Open, throughout this extraordinary Australian Open, by our sponsor, On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider that are bringing us to the BMP Paribas Open in Indian Wells for the first time in March. They're offering a 5% discount code uh, to all friends of the tennis podcast on Steve Fogel's international tennis tours throughout 2023. We also have a competition running for all US and UK residents. It's for a three-night stay at the Miami Open presented by Itau at a tournament hotel tickets to two days and two nights at the tournament premium hospitality daily round trip hospital uh, daily round trip transportation all that jazz 
if you're a UK or US resident, all you have to do is subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already. Why haven't you already? But anyway, subscribe to the newsletter. It doesn't cost anything. The link is in our show notes and you can enter the competition that way, courtesy of On Location. And you can also go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast to enter. That's tours, the number four, tennis.com forward slash podcast. The draw will run until the conclusion of the Australian Open and then the winner announced the following week. Now then. He didn't want to chat for long after the match, did he, David? But he did want to chat. He had something to say. Yeah, he certainly did. And actually, the funniest thing of the lot was when he sat down. And I was unaware of everything he'd said on court because we were just marched down in a lift. You missed the penis gag. So so I missed the penis gag. (laughs) I missed all the emotion and the heart-wrenching comments and all the rest of it. And he sat down and one one of my colleagues asked him, so how does it feel? And he goes, how, how do you feel? And, he, and expecting something similar. And he goes, oh, I'm all right at the moment. I'm all right, thanks. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, not, I'm all right not, just not, now. Just now, yeah. yeah. And, then, uh, and, and, and then he goes, I actually feel a bit better physically than I did two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, the, the conference went on. And right at the end, I managed to get in the final question, which was simply... Um, what are we doing? Is it time that tennis stops playing tennis at 3 and 4 a.m.? And that was like a trip, wasn't it? It just set him off. And he he started to get quite angry with the way he spoke about how wrong that is and how he's now sitting there when he should be talking about what an incredible, epic match it was and how great it was for everybody in tennis. And yet, here we are talking about this. And he said, if I'm, if I'm, he's a dad of four young kids. And he said, if, if one of my kids was the ball kid in that match and he's coming home at 5 a.m., he said, I'm snapping at that. He said, we've talked about this for so many years and we're still doing it. And he was really, really angry, Catherine, wasn't he? Yeah. He was so pleased that he'd asked that question that directly so he could get off his chest what he had to say when he had people's attention. He knew that this was the moment. He said in an earlier answer, I I, I want to go to bed. I just want to go to bed. And yet he stopped and took the time and made his point very, very clearly. It is, I mean, it's, it's not a debate. Tennis shouldn't be doing this. It doesn't have to be doing this. Tennis wears it as a badge of honour. And that's messed up, really. It's absolutely messed up because it is bad for the sport. Okay, it just so happens that 4am in Australia is actually quite a good tennis watching time in the UK, where Andy Murray is from. That is pure happenstance um, and is not, something I don't think which should be factored in to this. Basically, tennis happening at 4am means people aren't able to watch it on the TV or in the stands. And it looks crap if you are able to watch it because no one's there. I mean, it's incredible that people... The, Absolutely the number of people incredible. And, and, and he thanked them he thanked them. I mean, he thanked them mid-match. He, he stopped, I think, midway through the, the fourth set and gave them, started mm. applauding the crowd with his racket and conducting them. And Kokinakis was doing that as well. You know, there was this sense of, this is ridiculous. 
we'll deal with that later but for now we're all in this absurdity yeah. together there's there's not enough in tennis of people feeling oh no no we've got to do something about this yeah. this isn't you know i know that there there are there would be conversations and there are efforts but there's there needs to be a John Isner, Nicola Mahu, seventy sixty eight. That is never happening again. Moment in tennis now. Mm. Yeah, tennis being played at four a.m. should be just as insane as tennis going to seventy sixty eight in the fifth set. Like it just, as you said, it just shouldn't happen. I mean, tennis starting at ten fifteen p.m. Stupid. That shouldn't be happening. No. It's not. There is no other sport where you send elite athletes out for. I mean, okay, it turns out that Andy Murray's played countless matches of of this magnitude, but for potentially the biggest match, the biggest moment of their lives at 10.15pm, and they've had to be ready for the past goodness knows how many hours because they they don't know an exact start time. There's no other sport where that's happening. And don't, don't we want them to be in the best possible position to perform as well as possible for as big an audience as possible. Mm. That's an absolute no-brainer. And this is secondary. But while we're here, (laughs) I would like to have a mini rant. If you're going to have scheduling that actively encourages or allows for tennis to be happening and crowds to be there and journalists to be working there at 4am, you have to keep the blooming food and drink stands stands open to make sustenance available yeah i know that sounds like a first world problem but it it's a damn yeah, but cheap. I mean, it was hours and hours of people just sitting there probably thinking oh, i'm just getting starving now yeah <laughs> yeah I. we me. were those people <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely starving i said uh, can you imagine Wolves Liverpool happening at 3am in the morning and Catherine said yeah but I bet they'd be selling pies <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wrong am I no you're not wrong not I'm not wrong, wrong. So, so what so what do we do about this if, if, if you have to introduce an emergency measure tomorrow to stop this from happening what is it only well, a one night session match I, I think I think it, as long as you're going to have best of five and best of three at the same tournament the way they are, you either have to have two best of three set matches and one five set match. You, you can't have best of three followed by best of five. You cannot have that from seven o'clock. You just can't. It's just, you're asking for trouble. And, and I do think that if they get to a certain time, they need to come off like it, as though it's for bad light. They need to come off for after a certain number of sets um, at, at an agreed time, like a curfew, really, and 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 look, I know there are things that the sport will lose. I mean, that that moment today, I was watching, I, I was commentating on it, and I was aware on the BBC Sport website that a hundred thousand people were on that page. I think more actually. I I I, I saw some I mean, that things was that just it was like one hundred and fifty thousand. Really, I mean, yeah. these are extraordinary figures. People that don't normally take any notice of tennis on my timeline on Twitter that work in football, everybody's talking about this match. So there are good things to it, right? But there are loads of these matches that happen when nobody's watching and nobody cares and there's no publicity. And, and, I, and I don't think that they were watching and listening just because it was three or four in the morning. If that had been a five-hour match starting at 7 p.m. and it finished at midnight... 
you'd still have people talking about this heroic comeback from Andy Murray. You'd lose the, the absurdity element. Good. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of the bloody absurdity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think there needs to be a curfew for for matches continuing and I think there needs to be a cut-off for matches being sent on court. You had a situation earlier on where Djokovic was locked in battle um, and clearly struggling with injury. The The remaining length of that match was very much unknown. You've shown images of Angebeur and Marketa Vondrosheva who were scheduled after Djokovic on the Rod Laver Arena backstage sort of, you know, just in this continuous cycle of warm-up, not knowing when they'll take to the court. You've got the Kier Arena and Court 3, good courts. Kier Arena is not that much smaller than the second court here, sitting empty, closed for the night, and there they are, not knowing what absurd hour of the night they'll be sent on court. Absolutely ridiculous. I just think a massive brainstorm is required of all these people, stakeholders, and just figure out the scenarios and, and, and stop and this. The, and the thing is that it's very easy to say um, one match in the night session. I, I believe in that, but we all know what will happen there. It'll it happened at the French Open. It'll be one men's match because you're guaranteed more tennis. Easier to sell tickets because there's a guarantee of more tennis. That is unacceptable. If you have a system which promotes inequality and prevents equality essentially from being possible, that system is not okay and not acceptable. Well, like I said, two, it, should, it should be two, two best of three set matches in the session from seven o'clock. And again, I still come back to if you made men best of three and women best of three and then turned it, at quarterfinal stages onwards to best of five for both or whatever you want, you could make it work. There's a way to make it work. Yeah. If I there's mean, a will. That is where I would start with the um, with the inequality of of the scoring system. But, you know, Wimbledon has a curfew and the world doesn't end. No, and, <laughs> yeah. and they get plenty of great stories no and plenty goes, of great classic matches and they lose nothing. No one says, oh my, oh my God, we're not going to get to be here at 4am watching... Exactly. Yes. Well Silliness. Said. I mean, yeah. I would probably push it to midnight. You know, yeah. I, th- I think Wimbledon's is 11, isn't mm. it? And that's, uh, that's very much because of the residential area. It's a sort of local, local rule. And maybe if you're in the, in the middle of a final set and you hit midnight, you let them finish the set. Yeah, yeah. a yeah. little got bit a of common break. sense. You've got a tie break. You know it can end. But if you, if, I mean, what time were we? Where were we in the match at midnight tonight? Oh, in the second we set? hadn't finished the second set, I don't think. I mean, sorry, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's insane. Stop it. Does anybody have anything else to say about the most absurd, beguiling tennis match we've ever seen uh, before we move on to other pretty absurd and beguiling tennis matches? Yeah, the only thing I would say is what a pair of warriors, mm. really. And, and, you know, I know Tanasi Kokonakis will be gutted tonight, but I mean, I have, I have so much admiration for what they did tonight. Mm. I really do. Me too. And, and on that on that outright record of coming from two sets to love down m- more times than any other any other player, I do think you know when when the goat debate comes up, which I which I 
kind of hate I kind of take a step back from the goat debate but and there's and there's the sort of sub debate within that of what are the parameters of the goat debate should it just be number of major titles or do you factor in other things I mean obviously Andy Murray is not in the goat debate he's nowhere near it but there are underrated records in tennis I think Rafael Nadal's record of consecutive weeks at number one which with some news today about the the length in the of time it's sorry in the top 10 with, with the news today the length of time he's going to be out with this hip injury six to eight week, weeks we believe um could put that under under threat of ending um it goes back to 2005 i believe yeah he's we- been in he's been in the top 10 of the rankings every single week since i believe april the 25th 2005 and we do what? not talk about that enough and this is not a guy that has not had periods out of the game. Mm. He has had so many injuries. And look, now is not the time to talk about that. But there are some records that we don't talk about enough. I think that's one of them. And I I think this this record of Andy Murray's is really, really big, is a badge of honour that he will be able to to wear. That's the important thing. It's it's quite niche when you consider yeah. the the. the landscape it's not the thing that people will talk about really but for him Mm. he'll never forget it millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So what else happened today? <laughs> A bloody oh, Sorry, not today. Yesterday. <laughs> so much. I correct myself. Incredible yeah. and, and look, I'm going to roll it through here because um, it's 5.37am. <laughs> you, you, dear listener, have got lives to get to. We've got sleep to get to. And there's a lot to cover. So... It's getting light outside. <laughs> <laughs> the tennis starts again in five hours. That's less time than Mary was on court. Right. Focus, everyone. Focus. <laughs> Novak Djokovic 
did win this evening against the French qualifier Enzo Cuaco. Um, the hamstring, which was heavily strapped, that left hamstring, he had to go off mid-match to have it re-strapped off court, medical timeout. The hamstring, he told Barbara Shett um, on Eurosport afterwards, and he pretty much said the same thing in the press conference. To be honest, the hamstring is not good at all. He won in four sets tonight. He's got Dimitrov next. It's not good for Novak Djokovic. I know that he lets us know when he's feeling something. I know that he had that ab problem a couple of years ago, still went on to win the title, didn't he? He he referenced that in his press conferences, sort of being a slightly similar situation and giving him hope that he can play through this hamstring injury. But it seems slightly more serious than a couple of couple of years ago to me. He, uh, to me, he's lucky that the draw has opened up because um, I, I think he could be in trouble. Yeah. Grigor Dimitrov next. I mean, <laughs> I did tell you. I was going to say maybe David's um, David's sort of devil's advocate prediction will end up coming true. I mean, I think the, I think the issue with this is that it affects his movement so much, mm. and even today you could see that he was hurting. He was grimacing. He was wincing quite a bit when he was moving, and whenever he was pushed wide, I felt like he was really sort of struggling a bit. He he's able to compensate you know, and make up for it at the moment. But as you said, as he as he does start playing better players and Grigor Dimitrov probably is in that category, let's see. Um, he's got a really, I think, dark look in his eyes in, in the press conferences at the moment. He's he's in a bad mood because of this and he's he's really frustrated and upset by it. Uh, he said he's not practicing really on his on his days off. He's doing absolutely everything he can just to make sure he can take to the match court. He hopes five more times. Um, and as you said, if this were any other player, I would probably be thinking there's no chance that they can really progress at the Australian Open. But because it's Novak Djokovic and he's so good and he's used to managing injuries like this, I do still give him a chance. But... Mm. What we saw today did not look like the Australian Open champion. Three points into that match, he um, he lost it a little bit with a a ball kid about you know just just frustration the ball the ball kid not giving him the balls quick enough. It's the sort of thing we've seen for Novak Djokovic when he's in an, in an intense moment in a match and he's stressed. You know the stress manifests. He was three points in. It was thirty fifteen on serve, and I saw that and I thought whoa. He's walked out onto court burdened, really, really burdened and stressed. And that was serious alarm bells for me. I still think if things fall correctly, he can win the Australian Open at 90%, maybe a bit less than that. But that is what we're looking at here. We're not going... I don't think at any stage in this fortnight, whatever happens, we're going to be looking at Pete Novak Djokovic. It's a question of whether substandard Novak Djokovic can still be mm. enough. And, and and how substandard? Because mm. I think he said in his first round match it didn't actually bother him that much. Today it was a lot worse. So I think it's going to be in a state of flux even over the next 10 days mm. or so. You know, he'll have some better days, some worse days. That's why I wouldn't write him off. Oh, I'm um, totally and, not writing him off. And also, 
having watched him court level today, I, I commentated on, on the second set of that, the one that he lost. Mm. And, and look, I'm not in his body. I don't feel what he feels. And I've, you know, I'm sure it must be so miserable to sort of have that pain when you are desperately trying to be at your best. Um, but his attitude was terrible today. Mm. He, he was in such an awful mood. I mean, he lost that second set because of his attitude, because he was winning it. He was three love up in the tie break, and he lost it from there. And had he just been able to knuckle down and not feel, frankly, a bit sorry for himself and a bit angry at everything. And, I, and I, look, I am aware how easy that is for me to say. I couldn't do what, what he does. But sometimes he can handle that. Mm. And today he couldn't in that moment. And he lost that set. His opponent, Quacker, played well. You know, he did a good job of, of at least doing what he does and stretching him. But, and I wasn't in the press conference. So I, I didn't have that chance to look him in the eye the way you did, Catherine. I, I do feel it's, it feels to me very similar to two years ago because I remember his interview with Colin Fleming after he beat Taylor Fritz. I remember the dark look and the confusion in his eyes and everybody's saying, oh, it's, it's over for him. And then, of course, when he starts to, to still negotiate rounds, people are saying, oh, he's, he's acting, he's putting it on. Goran's defending him and saying that he's just tougher than you all. I, I think that... Dimitrov is a real threat to him because he's so good at moving himself. Yeah. yeah. And if he, he can, can make if he it makes physical. it physical and if he if he slices a lot, mm. he can be stable and that could be really tough for 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 Djokovic to to find a way past if he's not at his best. But he was still lunging into the splits and coming out of the corners at times today and and in a way that looks normal to me. It's just that I'm sure it was hurting when he did it. But so there's, there's just an, un, an unknown there. But I still think he, given the draw and given how, how often he's done this, managed injuries, I, I think that, I, that I, I, I'm not going to make a decision based on today. Yeah, well, how about that draw? For Novak Djokovic, because looking long, long range, we do our predictions from the quarterfinals onwards. I mean, look, I had Djokovic in the final. I had him winning it. I felt, I felt you know, pretty unequivocal about penciling his, penning his name in uh, to the draw sheet when I did that. But I felt like the biggest threat to those things happening was Taylor Fritz in yeah, the semifinal. Big, big points, And yeah. Taylor Fritz is gone. Mm. Four sets no, sorry, five sets, six-two in the fifth at the hands of Australian sensation Alexi Popperin. You've been backing the wrong Australian <laughs> sensations, Matt. <laughs> Channel Nine have been trying to tell me. <laughs> they have, and you've been ignoring it. Um, he's already won as many matches this year, Alexi Popperin, as he won in the whole of 2022. And again, just like Andy Murray in the, the coming from two sets to love downstat, Alexi Popperin was well aware of that, referenced it in his on-court interview, which was beautiful, by the way, with Casey Delac, where I really felt like I got to know Alexi Popperin and he really made me care about him. You know, for a lot of that match, I was seeing it as just the upset of Taylor Fritz and Australians getting excited about their latest sensation that all you know, fly close to the sun for a while and crash and burn in the third round. But I, you know, it, what, what, it's a lot more than that. What was it that he was that. saying that, was, that got you like that? He said, 
He said he's worked as hard as he possibly could pre-season, that he was fueled by what happened here last year, which was a a five-set loss to, to Arta Rinderknecht, that he felt like he lost he lost the physical battle. He said, I love this feeling. I want more of this feeling. And I'm going to try and keep it going all the way. And there was this incredible... And, and maybe that sounds ludicrous, but... I don't think Taylor Fritz played badly today. I thought Alexi... It was a bit like Kokonakis. I had underestimated him. He was so good. So, so good. Absolutely. And he is much improved on what he was last year and and the year before. I mean, to be honest, I've not seen that much of him. In the words of Matt Roberts, he doesn't seem to exist outside Australia. (laughs) I mean, name me an Alexi Popperin match that you've watched... Outside of the Australian Open, I remember one from Miami a couple of years ago when Daniil Medvedev was cramping and probably should have won it, but he didn't in the end. Um, yeah. yeah, there was this incredible footage of him backstage after the match doing his cool down on the bike and he just couldn't stop smiling. Oh, It was gorgeous. Yeah, he he was borderline unplayable, I felt, for some of that match. The way he was just swinging he's got a incredibly loose arm on the, on the forehand and a big serve as well and the concept of playing like away from home isn't really a thing that exists on the tennis tour but i feel like playing an australian sensation on the john kane arena <laughs> is kind of as close as you get to sort of playing away it's it, a big ask for fritz it, that wasn't it it was i mean they were they were cheering to the rafters his double faults oh, and really? and his errors and oh, his mistakes goodness. it was hostile he, he, he did it was look ashen faced yeah. it's a really tough environment to play in and i was so impressed that he managed to actually win the fourth set you know because you know, the place was going mad. Popperin was playing well and Fritz dug that out. And then I was really impressed by Popperin for not going away at the start of the fifth when he hadn't closed it out in four. And yeah, he was he was peaking for most of that match, Popperin. He was kind of a joy to watch, really. And I, I think actually the feeling is that some of those struggles, as you know, hard as it was for him last year, barely, barely winning matches, actually long-term maybe kind of like the best thing for him mm. because it's forced him to work so much harder and almost felt like everything was coming a bit too easily for him and he was just sort of at this comfortable ranking whereas now he feels like he really wants to push on and uh, yeah, but I was pretty shocked as well because Taylor Fritz felt like a real banker to me to yeah. reach the quarters, maybe even the semis here I- given the form that he's come in on and there are so many... Americans doing well at this tournament it just it feels weird that their number one their biggest sort of contender really is is not among them he's 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 missed the invite to the to the big American party that seems to be happening that really is how it feels it's like the sort of drawing the the padlock on the screen was an audition for (laughs) for getting the 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 invite to the party and he failed because he drew Again, in the words of Matt Roberts, a penis and a scribble. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I see if I can find any other way to, to bring up penises on this podcast? <laughs> so you're doing a pretty good job uh, so I'm far. doing a pretty good job, yeah. Um, 
<laughs> it's it's five forty nine in the morning, folks. Bear with me. We're, he plays Ben Shelton. He plays Ben Shelton next. In speaking of you know the big American party, and, Ben Shelton is the NCAA college champion who is not just playing his first tournament abroad. He's on his first trip outside of the United States right now, and he's into Whatever. the third round. Ra- ever. ever, even on like holiday, and he's into the third mm. round of the Australian Open. Yeah, extraordinary, <laughs> unbelievable. And, and, we and, don't have time to talk about it, but it is and, it's unbelievable. And, and that that section of the draw, that um, that bottom quarter, there are no top twenty players in it, and you've got Popperin, Shelton, Wolf, Moe, Murray, Bautista Agu, Paul and Brooksby. And one of those is is reaching the semi-finals here. That is how open the draw is now. And I'm sure we'll come on to a couple of those names now. Right now. Right now. <laughs> Jensen Brooksby, we lost both number two seeds in the men's and women's draw today. That's where I want to go next. Jensen Brooksby defeated men's second seed, Casper Ruud. Some effort from Jensen Brooksby, who was... Absolutely on top for all of this match. 100% deserved to win it, but he had to recover from missing three match points in the third set and regroup to come back and win it in the fourth over an hour after having those match points. I'm so impressed with what Jensen Brooksby did today. That match summed up what I love about this sport so much. It's not just the the, the strokes, which I love watching as well. I love the, the interplay between players and the fact that he's one-on-one and, and all those sort of things. But I love seeing somebody on the brink of victory who's trying to hold it together like he was trying to hold it together in that third set. He's 5-2 up. He's two sets up. He's serving for it. He he thinks he's one match point because he's set it up perfectly. He's hit two, three great ground strokes. Rude scrapping and getting them back. And then suddenly Brooksby has to hit a fourth one. He misses. And he just sort of collapses mentally after that. And Rude is jumping up in the air. And, and just seeing somebody trying to wrestle with their with their dreams the way that Brooksby was. And seeing them dashed. And then trying to regroup and managing it and getting over the line. That is just beautiful. Yeah, and personally, I I really enjoyed this from a tennis perspective. You know, just the matchup. I found it fascinating how Brooksby, like, pinned Rude in the backhand corner. There were some crazy stats going around about the number of backhands that Rude had to hit today compared to the number of forehands. Like, Brooksby's tactics were absolutely spot on um there was just this brief moment after he lost the match points where you know he he did start struggling and Ruth started finding his forehand a bit and I felt like Brooksby did really well physically as well like I thought Ruth's way out of this sort of grip that Brooksby had on him would be to make it really physical and long and back himself over five sets and Brooksby sort of hung with him, I, th- I felt, physically. He won so many of the long rallies, um, just sort of kind of manipulating the ball around. And I feel like everyone's trying to find a comparison for Jensen Brooksby, you know. Andy Murray famously compared him to Florian Meyer in that tweet. I asked him about that tweet. Niche. In his press conference. After, and it, it, took, it sort of took him a while to remember. <laughs> and then he went, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. 
he probably as wasn't. if like anybody else had ever tweeted about it. Anyway. <laughs> he probably wasn't thrilled with the comparison. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. But then, yeah, but then co- Chris Clary was was saying that he reminds him of of Medvedev, and mm. I can see all of these elements Flat in him. Hitter, absolutely. But I think the key point is, it's actually hard to find a comparison because he's pretty unique. That's what makes him interesting. You found a comparison. Did I? Oh, Matt O. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because, 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 He's my actually, because actually the best comparison is I feel like everybody that plays tennis has a Jensen Brooksby at their local club. Mm. So it just this, drives them wild. This is a friend of ours, the only person we've found to beat Matt Roberts, mm. basically. And you feel like, I should be beating you. My game looks better than yours. <laughs> Why aren't I winning? Yeah, I do think all these. <laughs> actually, the, the, the look on Kasparud's face was exactly that. Yeah. Not, not that he was being disrespectful, but he just couldn't and believe what Brooksby was pulling off today. Yeah, he described him as annoyingly good, didn't he, mm. in, in, in the press conference. I think that's what he said to him at the net. And, and, and also, I just love how Brooksby is... Like he, like, he annoys people, absolutely. I think his grunting annoys people. I think things like what he did when he won the second set on a dead net cord... And he didn't. He didn't apologise. And it sort of came back to something that happened earlier on in the year in in Auckland, where Fanini was accusing him of not of not apologising for neck cords. And he said something like, "Well, I was taught that neck cords are nothing to do with luck." That's very funny. <laughs> so he doesn't. So it was funny how it sort of came full circle, and it sort of was brought up again today. But uh, honestly, I quite like that he owns all of that. Absolutely. He he leans into He's it. He owns it. Netflix take note because you know the one thing that that the Netflix series showed up and you know friends of the pod have been able to listen to our review show. There's a lot we like about it, but I do think tennis has a politeness problem, and it needs more Jensen Brooksby's that aren't worried about their likability. Mm. They want to win tennis matches. They have great respect, I think, for their opponents and competition, but ultimately. Winning is what matters to them. And they are and who they are. They are who they are. They own it, and I, I love it. Very quickly, Matt, can you summarise our <laughs> our collective exchange with Casper Ruud in the press conference afterwards? We we ganged up on him a little bit, but it was important. I think it was very interesting. We did. We uh, slightly double teamed him on the talking point of the exhibitions that he played in the quote-unquote off-season against Rafael Nadal. You know, it's it's pretty... You know, you can't really ignore the fact that Nadal and Rude are both out of the Australian Open much earlier than they would have liked. Um, and basically asked him whether he, in hindsight, regretted that and wouldn't do it again. You know, he would change up his schedule to prepare better for the Australian Open. And in a very Casper Rude way... He sort of talked himself through the answer. Catherine followed up with another question, and he basically said that, yes, he, he, he does think that that affected his preparation here. He had very few days to actually sort of practice and prepare, um, and he described it, it's a factor. His, he described his off-season as playing an exhibition in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Um, I, I, said, I followed up and said... Did you have an off season? I don't. I said I. Don't, I don't know exactly what that South American tour schedule was. Did you have an off season? Did you have a preseason training block? And he said he had a holiday in the Maldives, didn't he? Yep. 
um, priorities, Oops. obviously. And he said, yeah, and then on the way, and then he got into some some nitty-gritty detail about his, his flight patterns. He said, oh, and then I stopped off in Abu Dhabi on the way back because the flight connected through there or something. And uh, I had three days hitting... Um, and then I played the Mabadala Open. I was like, that's just playing an exhibition. That's just playing another exhibition, Casper. So you went on an exhibition tour. You had a holiday in the Maldives, and then you played some more exhibitions. Great. Okay. But he, as you said, he said, we'll look at it and won't necessarily do that in the yeah, future. Yeah, I, th- I think in terms of his Australian Open preparation, he was, I think, saying that it was a mistake. Mm. But I'm, I don't think he regrets doing it. I just think he he needs to adjust as a player and maybe maybe just be a bit more selfish and yeah. a bit more like a top player. To be honest, you know, mm. he was he was it was kind of a good thing that he did, I suppose, taking tennis to those areas and you know being a big part of a important event for Rafael Nadal. You know, there were there were good aspects to it, but it wasn't it wasn't helping him, and I think that's what he's realised there. We lost Ange Jabeur from the women's draw, the women's number two seed this evening. She lost out to Marketa Vondrosheva. Uh, first ball of this match on Rod Laver Arena played at 11.24pm. We said what we have to say about that. Uh, Jabeur struggling physically very, very clearly. That knee injury, uh, a massive factor in this, but also the fact that Von Drosheva is the worst possible player, I think, to play when you've got something like that going on. The way she manoeuvres players around the court, the way you just have absolutely no idea what she's going to do next. She is an inexplicable tennis player. <laughs> absolutely inexplicable. I'm, I mean, she should have won that match in two straightforward sets, and she did win that match in two straightforward sets. They were just just stat- sandwiched in between them. Was a sort of set from a completely different match. <laughs> Which was all about Jabur fight. And, you know, incre- absolutely incredible that Jabur was able to get any kind of foothold in that match at all, let alone win a set because she was nowhere near fit and there were some harrowing images footage of her in the corridor immediately after coming off court she sort of collapsed on her haunches hunched in a heap um it was it was really really tough to see i I had a bit of a narrow escape there then catherine because i was walking down the corridor i have to walk down that walk of champions to get to our commentary box and i saw her coming towards me in the distance from the court and uh we were only about oh you know 40 feet away from each other and I took a quick left down the stairs and otherwise she'd have had to see me for the first thing she saw after coming off that court well, she having could, lost. she could do a lot worse. Oh, <laughs> Might have been able much. to help you. You've seen me in worse moments, David. Well, I, I, do, I, I did see her and I thought, God, she looks crushed. And I, and I was mm. quick, you know, to get out of the way because it must be horrible. I did find that reaction interesting. I thought maybe she'd be slightly more philosophical about it because of the injury. You know, maybe a, a resignation, but she's so desperate. It's isn't it's, she? it's a she mark of the ambition. It. She wants isn't it. it. She's said it, mm. and now she's chasing it. And I, I feel I, 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 it makes me like her even more. Mm. 
Yeah, she's incredible. Caroline Garcia, 7675 over Leila Fernandez today. I'm so sorry that we don't have the time to talk about this in the detail that that we want, really, because it was... God, it was a cracking match. Really good, match. wasn't it? Yeah. Such high level. I wanted a third set of it, but Caroline Garcia didn't. <laughs> and ultimately, that's decisive. It was a great level from both players. What is making the difference is the way that Garcia plays the big points. Mm. I, I don't know how you get past her on the big points. And in particular, I would say serving on the big points. That was one of the characteristics of this match you know it was it was like serena-esque serving on on the big points she was break points uh down at four all and five all on on serve in the first set came up with massive serves and then she was five two down in the tie break came up with two big serves hit three ground stroke winners just the probably the five best tournaments that the five best points of the tournament that I've seen con- consecutively so far she played at the biggest most important moment and she described that her winning the set as a sort of robbery because you know <laughs> she wasn't she wasn't the best player in it overall probably fernandez was excellent but as you said she played the big points brilliantly and there's this toughness there's this steel to garcia which didn't used to exist. It is so impressive how she's how she's sort of molded that, and uh, she kept it going in the second set as well. And yeah, it was it was fantastic. Both players completely refusing to budge from the baseline. You know, they were sort of half volleying the ball back at each Such other. It was a stubborn match, yeah, isn't it? If it, it, it felt like it was sort of in in fast forward because the rallies were so quick because there was they were both on the baseline. It was really good and. For Garcia to have such a big test early on in the tournament, I think, is massive. And her draw has has actually kind of opened up. So I think Garcia's in a in a really strong spot. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I, I'm blown away by the tennis that she's playing. I had been blown away by the tennis that Belinda Bencic was playing. But a little bit of a wobble for her tonight. It's one of those where what's the bigger factor? The fact that she... She scrapped and she fought and she found a good enough level to to come through and win when she wasn't playing her best against Claire Liu today, who who served for the first set. Um, all the fact that Linda Bencic really was way off her best today and and didn't look anything like the Belinda Bencic, the one in Adelaide last week. I don't know yet. I need to see more. Um, but. She was winning so easily in Adelaide last Mo- week. It most was players very different. who have a big run at a slam, they have a day like that, mm. don't they? It's what it's. It's about getting through it and then returning to the previous form. So we'll find out exactly. We'll find out. And today brought us one step closer to. I think it's a potential fourth round: Benchik versus Sabalenka. Oh, hello! Because Sabalenka <laughs> was awesome. I mean, it feels like about three hundred years ago. It was I mean, almost it, it, 24 hours ago it, yeah. uh, when, when she came onto court at 11 a.m. And she was, she was 3-1 down against Shelby Rogers. They, they just flashed up um, on the screen that she'd held 31 service games in a row. So, of course, she got broken in that service game. She's 3-1 down. She then won 11 of the next 12 games to win the match. And there was a stretch there where she was just hitting winners. And um, she's... 
serving well she's moving well she's she seems so relaxed and this is this is the most confident i've ever felt about arena sabalenka i think she's just sort of got everything together and i just think when you've been through the worst like she has and still won matches you know she got to the fourth round here last year without a game that must just harden you and make you Mm. sort of realize what you're capable of i think Mm. and um it's so interesting she gets asked about the serve all the time you know and in in her press conference today she just said how much work she's done on it and she listed watching videos working on technique visualization and even like breathing exercises just every little thing no stone left unturned to make that serve better and she's got to a place where her game is looking sort of as complete and as well-rounded and as solid as I've ever seen it and I just feel like watch out everyone else because if Sabalenka's not having wobbles she's just powering her way through (laughs) (laughs) so how do you stop her I don't know ask Belinda Bencic (laughs) let's see in a couple of rounds time if they get there as she plays Elise Mertens next does Sabalenka I'm going to do some rollicking now rollicking through some things bear with me Uh, I would like to mention Donna Vekic that won today 6-3-6 love against uh, Ludmila Samsonova Um, I went to speak to Donna Vekic um, in her press conference afterwards it was just me and Donna mostly and we just had a lovely chat about Pam (laughs) it was great got Pam (laughs) and she just uh, you know I I didn't tell her that I know no Pam or anything but she just it was just lovely because she just described exactly the Pam that that we know and you know talked about how big a thing it is for it, it the whole thing as as we know the whole sort of unofficial coaching relationship she still has her other pre-existing coach on the team but Pam's just come in completely organically um as a result of their chemistry and bond and understanding together and clearly it's having an impact you know it's been a tough few years for Donna Vekic and today was a a big big result for her and she felt on the cusp of something she said before this tournament and I'm delighted for her because she's she's fantastic and just just to say I don't know how much she would have known about Pam Shriver's career when Pam was I mean you know it would have been before she was alive no sorry Pam but 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 that's the truth and and yet I can just imagine the difference it makes to have somebody like that believing in you that's exactly the question I asked her and it does you know and helping you you know advising you absolutely what what a boost absolutely and and having fun with her, she 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 said to me, "I will never have a coach or a member of my team that is not my friend again." She said she realised the power of of having someone around that that's a genuine friend, mm. and it was it was great. it was lovely chatting to Donna Vekic about Pam. Hello, Pam. <laughs> um, I'd like to mention um, Katie Volinet. Who beat Veronica Kudimatova today? Six four two six. That was today. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't. It was very much yesterday, David. But she's qualified. She's on a five-match winning streak. Yet another American that's just having a ridiculous time. <laughs> this tournament, unbelievable. Um, got so many these American qualifiers. Um, you have got Michael Moe that beat Alexander Zverev today. He, he wasn't even a qualifier. He was a lucky loser. He had his bags packed. He had his flight. Booked. He wrote 
life is crazy on the camera today after beating Zverev. There's so many great stories out there and I'm not going to delete all of the notes that I've made from today because there's lots of stuff that we can touch on another day. Hopefully tomorrow slash today, whatever it is, will be... I don't wish for there not to be stories, but maybe just a few... A few fewer stories so that we mm. can, you know... Catch up a bit. Catch our breath a little <laughs> bit. Because Andy Murray plays again on Saturday. <laughs> Don't even. Can't, uh, I'm can't not ready it. yet. Uh, it is 6.09am. It is light outside, David. What are we doing it's with our lives? It's a good job this is a an audio medium because David's got his head in his hands. Is it over yet? <laughs> uh, it is over david except for me to tell you all remind you all that cordelia is our australian open mascot david you've got Maisie. we nailed it again Maisie. what did you have tommy paul tommy paul beating alejandro davidovich fokina not easy to say <laughs> at six ten in the morning sorry about that everybody <laughs> uh Zenia. we scored points with arena sabalenka we're playing it safe, Zenia, because the first couple of days didn't go very well. David, it's almost over. It's okay. Uh, Matt Darwin? We played it safe and lost. It's <laughs> <laughs> my favourite, Matt. <laughs> Did you go for Casper Rude? Casper Rude. <laughs> Disaster. <laughs> Sorry, Darwin. Back to Australian sensations. <laughs> They're dwindling, though. I know. I know. I'm no, a... I've gone for a Grand Slam champion tomorrow. <laughs> Who? Oh. Elena Rabakina. You say tomorrow, Matt. I've got some bad news for mm. you. <laughs> I'm available again next year, darling. <laughs> uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. At about midnight, I posted... We, we, <laughs> we were having a bad time. And I sent a message to my brother um, saying... Uh, my brother and uh, Millie, his partner, saying... Um, Could we have some uh, cute Billie Jean content to cheer us up, please? And I put it on our Instagram page with the caption... Um, sad Andy Murray fan because Billy Jean was looking, <laughs> looking sad, and I just feels like a different life, just a different universe. What on earth has happened? Uh, we've got our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Drew, and Hannah. Hello to you all, and I think we should save shout-outs for tomorrow. Oh, thank you. <laughs> No offence, shout-outs. We love you dearly. Because it's not even tomorrow. They're for today. So um, we're going to keep you, all you you shout-out people, we're going to keep you on the edge of your seats until later on today when we'll be recording another tennis podcast brought to you throughout the Australian Open in association with On Location and Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours. What a day. What a day. Let's do it all again today. (laughs) We'll speak to you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 